Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Achieve Depth Radio. These are the leading experts in energy, nutrition, water, health and human performance, fitness and personal medicine. If you're looking to maximize your mental, physical, athletic and professional performance, these are the experts for you. Achieve Depth Radio, this is not what's now, this is what's next. Achieve Depth Radio is brought to you by InDepthOils.com. In-Depth Oils full-spectrum FDA-approved organic hemp CBD oil. In-Depth Oils are grown on fertile land that has never been used for any agriculture and is therefore clean, has no pesticides or other poisons. Employees hand-plant the seeds, hand-pick the weeds, and hand-harvest the flower. We have a natural spring running through the farm that is fed by glacier melt up in the Colorado Rockies. And this exceptional water is the only water used on the farm to maximize the purity and quality of each and every drop that goes into all in-depth oil products. They truly may be the most pure and unprocessed oils on the market. Our plants experience the maximum love and in turn, they provide only the highest quality to our customers. Up until now, in-depth oils full spectrum CBD oil was only available to professional athletes who trust and use these oils to boost their immune system, speed up their recovery and maximize their performance. We have now released our small batch craft oils to the public, so you too can take advantage of the in-depth oil quality. Friends of Achieve Depth Radio Podcast save 15% off their purchase using coupon code RADIO15 at checkout. So head over to indepthoils.com and in the coupon code box, all lowercase letters, no spaces, R-A-D-I-O. One five. That's Radio 15 to save 15% on your total order. Achieve Depth Radio is also brought to you by TheVaultPerformance.com. The Vault is a performance and training center in Orlando, Florida that caters to professional and high-level amateur athletes competing in such sports as Major League Baseball, the PGA and LPGA Tours, the NBA and NFL. Dr. Brennan McLaughlin, Dr. Atai Varley, Luke Mackey of Golf Australia and the Victoria Institute of Sport, and I, Dr. Craig Davies, have brought the expertise and experience our professional and amateur athletes receive at The Vault Performance online to thevaultperformance.com. We're going to put our entire exercise library onto this platform where you can handpick to build your own daily fitness program. Whether you want a body weight only, band only, dumbbell, or even barbell only program, or any combination of these, you can click a few buttons and have your own program designed in minutes that you can use right at home. If you want, you can also select one of our professionally designed workouts and be into your workout within seconds. We will constantly update the exercise library and also add in special interviews and podcasts with celebrity trainers, athletes, and other experts on health, fitness, nutrition, and training. So go to thevaultperformance.com and select pre-sale and use coupon code RADIO999. That is RADIO999, all lowercase, no spaces, to get your monthly membership for only $9.99 a month and have access to all the exercises, the ability to build your own training program, or use one of the programs designed by one of our world-class training experts. That's thevaultperformance.com, the next generation in at-home training. How we perceive water both in the body and outside the body, and I think his findings as well as his colleagues' findings will have a ripple effect, not only in the health and fitness industry, but uh, our understanding of the body as a whole moving forward for decades to come. Uh, Dr. Pollock, thank you so much for joining us on the Shoe Depth Radio. 
Alex, it's my pleasure, and, uh, and thanks for a nice introduction. Much appreciated. Happy to be here with you. Yeah, no, it's exciting. Uh, I think uh, one of the easiest ways for me and for many people that I've talked to to think about your work uh, and why we've never thought about this before, but you know, by molecule, we're close to 99% water in the body. And for some reason, whenever I've been injured or my skin has been cut, I've never bled water. Uh, I've never seen water seep out of anywhere in my body. And can you start to explain why this would be if we have so much water in our body to begin with? Well, that's a, that's a great question and, um, and, and really a pissing one to begin with. And, and the reason the water doesn't come, the liquid water doesn't come pouring out of your body like a run faucet is, um, is that the water that body is mostly not liquid water it, it, it actually has the consistency more like a gel so you can imagine that your body is filled with say jello or something uh, that that better describes the water that's in in, in your body and um, uh, it's uh, what we call the fourth phase of water uh, sometimes we call it easy water easy stands for exclusion zone and it turns out special kind of water has the capacity to exclude all kinds of stuff. Um, it's like a crystal. Um, it's like a crystal in that the molecules are organized. They're, they're actually lined up. And so inside your cell, a, a large extent outside your cells uh, too, the, the water is not H2O, liquid H2O, as, as we would uh, uh, perceive it, it's actually a different kind of water, and uh, and that's in fact what what we discovered. Interesting. Um, yeah, well, it is very interesting because you know in in modern biology, uh, most of the mechanisms that people talk about uh, are based on an assumption. The assumption. The assumption is that inside the cell, the water is liquid water, the kind that you'd expect to right. pour out if you cut yourself. Uh, and biology is built on that, uh, the idea that, um, that molecules diffuse through this water. Uh, the, the many mechanisms that are built on that assumption. However, if that assumption is incorrect, and you know, I believe it is incorrect, uh, as exemplified by, by your comment or the comment that you made that the, the water doesn't leak out if you cut yourself yeah. and pour out. So this is a different kind of water and therefore therefore um, if if it's correct well I know your observation is correct but the interpretation this gel-like easy four-phase water is correct it, it will have a big impact on all of our understanding of biology. So, so I think it's, it's pretty important. Um, yeah. Are you now going to ask me uh, uh, what about this water? Tell me what, what's it like and how come nobody's yeah. ever discovered it before? Or well, yeah. Like so that? first of all, I think uh, people so I'm, would like to know. So you're saying it's like a crystal, but it's not like people can understand ice is a crystal, but it's not like ice. No, it's not like ice. Actually, sorry, let me retract that statement. The molecular structure... It has it bears some resemblance to ice. It's not ice, but um, 
it, it does um, have similar features. So this kind of water that we're talking about, like ice, has a hexagonal motif. Mm-hmm. It consists of um, layers, sheets, you might say. Uh, it's like a stack of sheets piled on, on, on other. And each sheet has a honeycomb uh, structure. It's built of hexagon, linked hexagons. And these sheets um, pile upon one another. And, and the way, and they, they pile um, on one another in, in a very specific way. And so it means that within the, this fourth phase of, of water, every atom, every hydrogen and oxygen, one is situated at a, some focal point, some fixed point in, a, in an array. So, um, and, and this uh, so-called fourth phase water builds uh, typically when water, um, when water meets certain kinds of surfaces, the water transitions and starts building this sheet-like structure. The water converts from the random H2O or randomly disposed H2O molecules and transitions into this uh, sheet-like stack that, that, that builds. And, and this happens next to every but most so-called hydrophilic surfaces, that is, surfaces where if the surface is sitting on a desk somewhere and you drop water onto it, the water spread out when it meets the surface, as opposed to hydrophobic, water-fearing, like Teflon, for example, if you drop, if you, uh, drop um, some water on Teflon, that's hydrophobic, water-fearing. Water doesn't like it, so it, it, it goes away and forms ears. Um, and, uh, and, and so inside your cells, uh, genes, nucleic acids, all the solids that exist inside the cell are capable of being this kind of water. So if you look inside the cell and look at a protein surface, for example, uh, uh, people have known for a long time that the protein surface contains so-called interfacial water. That is water that's somewhat, somehow different. Mm-hmm. Uh, used to be called 50-bound water. And people, people studied it. And, um, and so in a, there's been a big history, uh, I mean, 100 years ago, in fact, that people have, have identified some different kind of water or different phase of water. And it's only in the past decade that we were able to study this uh, intensively enough to... to to detail its its properties, and it, it, this is no mere laboratory curiosity. It's all over the place. This water, uh, the fourth phase of water, and it, it fills fills your body. Um, it uh, actually started um, from uh, the earliest as a physical chemist a hundred years, more than a hundred years ago, um, who who. Um, came to the conclusion that something is wrong because we know three phases of water, solid, liquid, vapor. But those three phases uh, are capable of explaining all the features of water. So people even a hundred years ago recognized that there were so-called anomalous properties or anomalies. What's an anomaly? An anomaly is something that doesn't fit. So you basically sweep it under the carpet and say, oh, well, we know the theory is of, but there are a few exceptions. But the, those expenses have built enormously. And if you look at certain websites about water on the web, 
uh, you can you can actually see listings of up to 60 or so anomalies. In other words, features that don't fit our current understanding. So 100 years ago, the suggestion came, there ought to be another phase of water. And various scientists along the way, 100 years pursued that, the most famous of whom uh, is Albert St. Georgie. And uh, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it uh, correctly, uh, but, but uh, it's S-Z-E-N-T hyphen G-Y-O-R-G-Y-I. And okay. I think the Hungarian said Georgi or something like that. Right, yeah. So uh, for the rest of us, it's St. Georgi. And um, St. Georgi won the Nobel Prize for discovering vitamin C. Uh, he had other interests, including water. Um, and um, one of his famous comments was that uh, life is water dancing to the tune of solids. He knew that, that water was absolutely central to everything that goes on in the body. And, and following him, um, the person who probably contributed it the most with experimental evidence is the late Gilbert Ling. Gilbert was my friend. Um, he passed a few months ago, just shy of reaching 100 years old. And Gilbert wrote uh, either just seven books. And the main emphasis of the books was water and biology. And he said, he said that the water inside the cell was clearly different from any water, uh, that, like water in a glass, for example where the molecules are bouncing around a furious number of times per second and they're randomly disposed. He said, no, no, the evidence fits that the wall inside the cell, the molecules are somehow lined up. And, and Gilbert proposed a different kind of lining up from what we later uh, discovered. He suggested that, that the water molecules were acting as though they were dipoles. What's a dipole? You know, like a bean with a plus at one end and a minus at the other end, right. and water does conform to. You can imagine those those pluses and minus lining up and stacking in some way. And he thought that uh, uh, likely a way that this this or structure of this water is exactly that. We we found that was not the case. There was some clear evidence, and I guess it maybe didn't sit so well with with my friend but uh, evidence is is evidence and, and and so we we sprung from there and I, before you i know you have a list of questions but let me just just say one one more uh, or two more features of this kind of water um so as it builds the first is as it builds it it contains negative charges not neutral like water it's actually h3 2 that's the the uh, chemical structure of those sheets, um, repeating n times, many times, and it has negative charge. And uh, it has to have negative charge because in our experiments, we found that this kind of water, when we measure it, the easy water has ne typically has negative charge. See, and, and as it builds, it, it pushes out uh, protons, and that's how it retains that negative charge. And the water beyond contains those protons. So it's kind of like a battery uh, where, where the, the fourth phase or easy work contains uh, typically negative charge and the region beyond contains positive. And if you were to put electrodes in and connect those to uh, an LED bulb, 
an LED with light. You see, so you can actually you can actually energy from from this battery. But in order to build or charge battery, you got to put in energy, and um, it doesn't come free because because if you could build a battery from nothing, uh, ooh, everybody would be doing that. So in order in order to uh, uh, supply the end, we found that the end is actually light. Um, you shine light and the easy build. You take away the light and it, it, it retracts. But but the light is not the visible light that we, uh, we usually think of. The light is infrared light. Infrared is much more powerful than, than visible light in building in building this EZ. Um, and um, we found that in our experiments, a specific wavelength that was really powerful, uh, a specific infrared wavelength. It's for those interested, it's three micrometer wavelength. You shine this wavelength on the water and the easy builds. And uh, we found it would, even with a weak LED light, it build up to 10 times the original size. It's really powerful, right. even even these amounts of, uh, of this kind of light. So. So uh, I guess maybe I, I I could summarize my my long speech before we go on to your questions and say that um, easy water is a different kind of water. It, it's H3O2. It builds uh, next to hydrophilic surfaces, and it builds based on the end from infrared light. And just an addendum. Infrared is not rare. It, it's around us all the time. If, if, if we were to turn off all the light that us could detect nothing, and our cell cameras could detect nothing, if I were to whip out an infrared camera, that is a camera just like any other camera, but the sensor is sensitive to infrared, not visible light, I get a beautiful image even in the dark because everything is emitting infrared energy and what that means what that means is is that there's always easy water in the environment in our body outside our body as long as infrared energy is there will be some easy water if we add more infrared energy we get more easy water so so as i said it's not just a laboratory curiosity it's a kind of water that is just all over the place yeah. I think I'll stop now. I know you got a bunch of questions. Well, no, that was I'm great. Sorry for few, blabbering on. I have a few questions that popped up. One, uh, I start most of my days with an infrared sauna. I went in today, and when I left, I felt amazing. So that probably is a good chunk of the reason why I feel better is because my body is now more easier structured, I would think. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right on, absolutely. So I, I've had the same experience uh, about sauna, but but not yours is probably an electrical sauna, right? Uh, with infrared lights or not? Yeah, in, I use uh, sauna spaces, uh, incandescent lights. Yeah, okay. You know, the, 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 the real sauna, uh, uh, I've had opportunity to experience them both in, in Russia and in Finland. And I remember one incident in Finland. I had, it was a scientific conference, and I had given a talk that day. And I was uh, I was really tired. And, and at the end of the day, after all the presentations, some interesting, some boring, uh, we were led to some place uh, outside the city in Finland, some 
uh, seemingly remote place. And it was a, a giant room with rules and food and dancing and whatever. And all I wanted was to get back to my hotel room and go to sleep. I was so tired. And someone finally at about 10 p.m. walked up to the microphone and, and I, I said, for sure, I was thinking, okay, finally, finally, he announces everybody's supposed to get in the bus and, and we'll be taken back to our hotel rooms. But no, no, it's time for a sauna, he said. Of course, the Finnish, the correct pronunciation, sauna. Um, we say sauna. Uh, and I go, oh, my God, this is, this is the end of a terrible day. I really want to go to sleep. Maybe I'll skip it, just close my eyes in my chair. But I decided to go for it, and I went for it. And and I must say, after 20 minutes in a shower afterward, it was like I just woke up from eight hours sleep. I yeah. can start my day again. That's that's how amazing it was. At the time, I really wasn't thinking about about this. Uh, I thought about how beautiful I felt. But but you know, with with the discoveries that that we made, uh, actually about the presence of easy water filling our bodies, I, I, I find um, why the infrared sauna is as powerfully effective as it is, because it's hot and heat is essentially equivalent to infrared energy. Um, mm. And uh, there, there are some subtle differences between the two, but basically if we sit in a sauna and it's hot, whether it's humid or dry, we get infrared energy from it. Why? So why, what does that do for us? Well, you know, as you alluded to, it builds easy water inside our body. But why is the buildup of easy water inside our bodies important? And, and, and that's, the, that's the crux. And, and um, what, what we discovered, and I wrote about actually in, in the previous book, the earlier book, Sick Gels and the Engines of Life, that just like St. Georgie said um, that water plays an integral part in everything the body does, everything the cell does. And most of that water is easy water. So if you don't have enough easy water, if you're, for example, dehydrated, as you as an athlete know, uh, uh, you can't perform very well. You need, you need the water. And it's not just that the water bathes the more important molecules of life, it's that is that the water is absolutely central to everything the cell does, whether it's a cell or a nerve cell or, or a pancreatic cell or a kidney cell, it doesn't matter. Um, water is central. Now, if you don't have enough water and you're dehydrated, then function is impaired. It could be a treatment impairment uh, after two matches of tennis. You know, you've used a lot of your, your water. Um, or it could be a, you know, a, a, a more quasi-permanent pathology that needs to be reversed. But at any rate, you can't function properly without easy water filling every one of cells. This is a conclusion that through a lot of research. Um, if you don't have enough of it to restore, you need more. And that's exactly what happens in a sauna, that the water that's in, inside your body already, the water that, for example, you swallow, gets converted through this infrared energy to easy water. And so it builds and begins to function uh, better. Go into the sauna with um, a headache, I can remember. Uh, your muscles don't work as well as they 
I did, et cetera, 20 minutes of infrared energy, and that water gets up again, that easy water, feeling better. So, um, yeah, that, that, that I think is, is the reason why you, you, in the morning, after your infrared sauna, are feeling wonderful. Mm-hmm. I you know, understand. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things you talked about was how majority of the water in our bodies is this exclusion zone or easy water. And, you know, kind of what I think about is when I go to one of these amusement parks, whether it's Disney World or Universal or any of these parks, and I get to the ticket line and there might be 10 people that are taking tickets and there's a line of about 100 people behind them. All the people in those lines are very ordered they're in place, very structured. And then in behind those people, it's just like chaos going on. And, and in my head, that's kind of how I see the easy water is it kind of excludes everything else. People are ordered, lined up outside of the exclusions of water. Just people are moving, not at random, but they're all interacting with each other and moving out of the way or moving towards each other. Um, except the easy water is three-dimensional um, versus just like a two-pointer. And the other thing that I think is interesting is you said that by putting certain um, frequencies or wavelengths of light, sorry, on this water, the lineups get even longer in essence. And I think it's an analogy. Go on. Yeah. And and so what I was wondering, you know, when I grew up going to biology class, I looked at the pictures of the cell in the book and it looked like a bag of water with a couple things in it. But now when they do electron microscopes of the cell, there's almost no room in the cell. It's all this connective tissue, um, cytoskeleton. And because of that, is that what makes the cell full of gel in essence? Like you're describing this easy water. It's all the background, all this connective tissue. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's exactly what what happens. Um, The cell is volume, it's uh, roughly uh, two-thirds water uh, and so in theory um, you know one-third of the space should be occupied by solids and two-thirds uh, um, uh, by, by, by water uh, it's difficult when you do electron microscopy because you dehydrate first and so right. you actually remove a lot of the water so the the, the solids inside the cell look even even closer than they actually are, but but indeed the cell is filled with all kinds of solids, and and um, evidence is that any any water molecule is never more than I think uh, a dimension of three three water molecule diameters away from four five I can't remember exactly, but very small number of. Um, molecular dimensions away from some solid surface, which means that that essentially all of the water inside the cell is going to get built up into easy water and interfacial water. Just a few molecular layers is really all you need, uh, basically, to fill the cell. And in our experiments, we can sometimes detect over a million molecular layers. There's plenty of capacity to this water. And so inside the cell, the cell is filled. But, see... What I failed to mention, I think it's important, is that um, this kind of water, which, which as we said, fills, ordinarily fills the cell, nothing gets in, nothing gets out, nothing passes through, essentially nothing, almost nothing. So it looks like the cell is 
dead. In fact, it doesn't do anything, can't do anything. If nothing moves, nothing goes in, nothing goes out, nothing changes. The cell is stagnant. And, and I think this is, this is one situation in which this finds itself. It's the so-called resting condition. So if it's, so for example, a muscle cell, it's when the muscle cell is relaxed. It's not, not doing anything. And then what happens is, in order for the cell to do something, in order for the muscle cell to contract or the cell to conduct or the secrets of the cell to secrete, some change is needed. We call that change a phase transition. And when that happens, the water undergoes a change from this easy or fourth phase state into ordinary water. Uh, and the proteins during this phase, together with the water, also undergo mass change. And we call that change a protein folding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the action that takes. So in a muscle cell, the folding of actin and myosin proteins uh, somehow gives rise to contraction. Uh, by the way, parenthetically, it's a subject that we studied for a couple of decades. Um, and we think we understand the, the process, but the process really, or at least I think I understand the process, and it definitely involves water. Yeah. Although the, the current view of how muscles contract don't involve water at all. And I believe that that view is not correct. A book about it um, in 1990, it's called Muscles and Molecules. Um, anyway, uh, so you have to have some kind of transition to make things happen because when you have ordinary water, that molecules and particles or whatever pass through the water, and, and we need molecules um, passing through the water um, to make it work. And, and so, so it, it, an essential attribute of, of the easy water that the cells in the quiescent state is that that water must go undergo a transition to to ordinary water from easy water to ordinary water in order for the cell to operate, and then when the cell goes back to its quiescent state, it returns this uh, structure easy and fourth phase state, and that's where the energy comes in in order to restructure, rebuild the ordered water and separate the charge. Your body needs energy, so if your muscle. If, you're, if you just finished a couple of rounds of tennis and you're dehydrated, your muscles are not quite what they used to be, and some of them could be in, uh, contracting. Mm-hmm. And they remain contracting because you don't have enough energy to put those back in the resting state. Gotcha. So, yeah. Okay, anyway, uh, one more lecture, and I really mean to um, wax on the way I am, but I have some enthusiasm for that. Yeah. So please, please, Craig, back to your questions. <laughs> oh, I like it. Uh, so that yeah. brings me to this. So I know when I've read other material, uh, they've talked about how allowing yourself to be exposed to short durations of infrared light, and they're talking 30 seconds to two minutes prior to performing exercises and training, they found a 25 to 30% increase in endurance of that exercise, uh, 25% increased output in repetitions, uh, and quicker recovery time. And my thought was initially that uh, the infrared light would activate cytochrome C and some of the other pathways on the mitochondria that allowed more electrons to go through. 
But now I'm starting to wonder whether it's the structuring of the water in your cell combined with the increased flow of the electrons results in more ATP production. So the folding of the cells and recovery of the cells, whether it's muscles or nerves or whatever, happens so much more efficiently. Well, I think um, I think it, it, it could be uh, some of um, there's a lot to say about that. Uh, uh, the first point is is about the water. And uh, yeah, so as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, exposing yourself to infrared builds easy water. Remember, easy water contains negative charge. Uh, typically, your cells are negatively charged, and um, and I actually wrote a paper to argue that that negative charge comes from the water, from the easy water, and not uh, from the membrane pumps and channels that the textbook is describing as responsible for the cell negative charge. So um, so you do have charge um, uh, that, that's building. And then the question, the, the question that's linked to that um, is um, 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 about the electrons that you, you mentioned and the source of energy. So, so we think we think of the actually the textbook says that the source of energy is from ATP, from the high energy bond of ATP. And every textbook says that. They said it for several generations. So, so we we have a tendency to think that it must be correct. Well, um, if you read that, I mentioned. Gilbert Ling, if you read his stuff, I, I hope it's still on the web. His website is gilbertling.org. Uh, but if not, um, he's had several books. And one of the things he argued is a question whether ATP really is the energy source for our body. Now, that's awfully challenge that view because it's been around for a while. But, but you know, I'm, I'm reminded of... <laughs> of the, the view of um, uh, Lord Kelvin and other famous scientists. Um, and Lord Kelvin is famous for, for, for many things, you know, the uh, temperature scale Kelvin. But he's also famous for a remark he made once. He said, um, I'm absolutely sure to assert that nothing heavier than air will ever fly. Well, Six years later, the Wright brothers flew their first plane at Kitty Hawk. Mm-hmm. So, so we 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 need to to accept the possibility uh, that e- even even the the pronouncements from our greatest scientists, we often treat them as gods. You know, their pronouncements must be correct, but that's not necessarily the case if we look objectively at it. We don't them as heroes, but actually treat them as mortals who are, you know, maybe right most of the time, but occasionally not not right. And so so the idea of ATP I think took that category. And I'm not sure for uh, this high energy bomb came from a study. The idea, the concept came from a study that was from 70 or 80 years ago. And Gilbert Lane points out that one year later, uh, the idea that there's a special high energy bond was challenged by some physical chemists who think that the year prior, the guy who up with the idea of the high energy bond made a mistake. He got the numbers wrong. Mm. They said there's no such thing as a high energy bond. As far as I know, nobody has ever taken that up and looked 
looked into it and just ignored it because we think popular to think that we've identified the source of energy for the cell. And, um, and Gilbert remembers that and brings it up. And I think this is, this is one of those issues that needs reconsideration to see what indeed ATP, high energy bond in ATP is a source of energy. We feel kind of comfortable, satisfied that we've identified that, but whether it's correct remains to be seen. And I myself am not sure of, of the answer. Um, however, there's another possible energy source uh, that we have in the body. Um, inside the cell, um, we have easy water. Easy water is charged. When you stick a bunch of charges of the same sign, negative charges together, you have potential energy. Those charges want to move as far away from their neighbors as possible. They repel each other, but, but they can't. They're embedded in this gel-like substance that we call the cell. So, so there's plenty of potential energy inside our body because of the water. And, and so a question, of course, arises. Uh, we, we know that that's a source of energy. It could be a source of energy. And the uh, question is whether it actually is. I think it might be. Um, I'm not sure whether uh, how much of the sales energy comes from that, but it could be a substantial amount. So I, I just really wanted to mention that maybe as a digression. Yeah. I love that. For a moment, I got to let my cat in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'll be right back. No problem. Okay, if they're inside, they want to go outside. And if they're outside, they want to go inside. <laughs> Sounds like my kids. <laughs> well, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> so I got, I got a question. Um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to definitely plug both your books at the end. I'm going to plug them right now. Um, but you know, when you talk in the fourth phase of water, which is your most recent book, and I, I believe you're re working on another one, but your most recent published book, fourth phase of water, I might be mistaken on this, but I believe it said something along the lines uh, when it's specifically talking about the flow of electrons through the easy water occurs incredible, like maybe a hundred thousand times the speed that goes through bulk water or something along the lines of that. Did I take that out of context? I, frankly, I can't remember uh, saying that, but, um, but uh, you know, it, it, it can certainly be true. Um, you know, if you, if you put one electron in, um, it's going to push the existing electron in that position to another spot to another and you get a cascade of movement that can occur pretty quickly. I, I, I guess so. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Please go on. Yeah, no, that's just something I'm thinking of. <clears throat> so one of the things that I believe is fascinating from your work as far as its application to the human body, physiology, um, and kind of helping us understand a few concepts that hadn't made sense to me personally beforehand. And in in your book, you talk about when you add infrared light or infrared energy to uh, water, it causes the water to squeeze through a tube relatively quickly. Um, and then it was extrapolated to a conversation you had, I believe, with a Russian colleague where you guys were talking about the flow of blood through the capillary network 
and the energy required to make the red blood cells small enough or squished small enough to pass through uh, the capillaries because I was always wondering how could the heart push this blood through the capillary network? Like I felt the pressure would be so high. Um, but I believe some of your work found some of the potential answers to that. Yeah, um, yeah, you have better intuition than I have. Uh, there, we, we do have answers, and I'll tell you, but, um, but I have to tell you an anecdote uh, about blood flow through capillaries. And when I was a graduate student, uh, my PhD thesis was to simulate the blood flow in the in the cardiovascular system, okay. uh, sort of computer model of it, and I thought we had all the answers. Um, I, I did these simulations, and I felt self satisfied that I could explain essentially all the pressures and flows and uh, and all in, that existed uh, along the arterial tree and and the veins and such. Um, and I wasn't thinking. Um, I started thinking when, as you say. When I visited my friend, uh, Vladimir Vyakov, who uh, was a professor and vice chair of biochemistry at Moscow University. So I went to visit Vladimir, and, and the first thing he did is to tell me uh, in English uh, <laughs> that he wants to introduce me to, to his colleague in another laboratory in the same building. Uh, and, and the colleague came in, didn't speak English, and so everything had to be translated, but, but I was introduced by uh, learning that he had something to tell me about the cardiovascular system. And I think I must have been slightly arrogant at the time, because I thought, what can this guy tell me since I had all that experience, we had it all worked out. And within five minutes, he had me convinced that I was all wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, happens all the time. Uh, so why is I all wrong? So exactly as you as you uh, introduced, <laughs> he was telling me that there's a big problem in the cardiovascular system. So I said, okay, tell me what's the big problem. The problem is this. And very succinctly, he said, the capillaries in young adults uh, like yourself, uh, not not like me. The capillaries are typically three to micrometers in diameter. Um, the, 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 and, and, and the red blood cells that pass through these capillaries are twice the dimension. They're six or seven micrometers. He said, um, you know, it looks like Mother Nature might have screwed up because, of course, Mother Nature never screws up. Yeah. But why? Because why? Why would you? Why would you want to pass these galumphing blobs through these narrow, uh, narrow panels? Is that the amount of energy to squeeze them through is humongous? Uh, I mean, he said he calculated that if the heart were responsible for the heart would would need to develop a pressure of something like one million times the actual pressure that it develops. Even if it's wrong, a couple of orders of magnitude, still the problem is a horrendous problem. The amount of energy, it's sort of like, um, I'm always reminded of, of the toilet. You know, sometimes, sometimes the toilet gets stuck and you need to take a plunger. You take the plunger and you push and, you know, the toilet finally clears. But the amount of energy it takes to push through those blobs, um, if you've had the experience, is pretty substantial. 
is there anything in the cardiovascular system? It can't be the heart. There must be something else that heart. You know, it seems pretty obvious that, I mean, if the heart is developing pressure, that that pressure should be pushing blood to some extent. And and I guess I think that that can the big arteries it kind of makes sense although there are some people who have put forth other theories about spiraling of the blood that comes out or the sucking of blood from the veins but essentially the heart produces pressure and the pressure can can, can certainly help push the blood but when you get down capillaries the resistance of those narrow channels is extraordinary and so you need extraordinary pressure so we're where then does this extra energy come from? And the Russian guy had a few different ideas about bubbles and such, and I, I'm not sure, maybe they're correct, but I started thinking immediately. We had an observation in the laboratory that uh, provides a basis for understanding how this works. As you began to allude to, the observation was a simple one. We put a, a tube made of hydro material, the ones that build ECs. This one was made of nafion. It's a, it's a polymer, but it, it doesn't matter because we've shown the same thing in many different kinds of, uh, of channels. You just put, put the tube in the water, and if you look with a microscope, you can see the water flowing through the tube. We actually put little particles in the water and we can see the particles moving through from one end to the other. And it just keeps going. Um, and, and we found that um, the G for driving this flow comes from light, just, just like the energy to, to build the EZ. We turn on more light, we get, we get more. So, so, of course... Having this in the back of my mind, when I went to Moscow to visit my friend, I was getting, ah, I think I know what's going on here. Maybe in our capillaries, maybe what's going on is there's a, another mechanism that drives the blood through the capillaries. That is the same one that we see in the laboratory, the so-called, we call it self-driven flow. Okay. But of course, it's not self-driven. It requires energy. And so we want... Uh, we just completed uh, experiments, or I should say my student, now postdoc, Zheng Li, uh, pronounced Zhong Li, uh, did the experiments. And, um, and what it was, he took a, a chick embryo, a three-day-old chick embryo, you know, fertilized egg. You look at the embryo, you take the shell off the egg, and you can watch the embryo. And he was looking at the blood flow. And so he did the following experiment. The first thing he did was to stop the heart. It's easy to do. You just drop a few droplets of potassium chloride. It stops. Uh, and then, as others had found in the past, found that the blood still flowed. Mm. That is, <laughs> this is a big surprise. There are a half dozen studies over the past hundred years that Lee was able to identify same results using different systems, different methods. You stop the heart and the flow doesn't stop, it keeps going, but at a, a much lower velocity. So, so he found the same thing, which means if there's no artifact involved, no mistake, that there's something else that's driving the blood over and above the heart. So he wanted to test to see whether it's the same mechanism uh, uh, and, and the signature feature 
structure of this mechanism, if you add infrared light, um, the process goes faster. Uh, and so he added infrared light to the uh, chick embryo, and he found that he could get easily three times the speed of flow. So it looks like, it looks like, doesn't prove, but it looks like the same mechanism that we found in the laboratory in those hydrophilic tubes is, is working in everybody's body, your body and mine. And um, uh, so we have not one mechanism to drive the blood, the one that we've known for 400 years approximately, the heart, but a second one um, just discovered that works in addition to the heart. The fraction, which fraction is, is most important, how much is, is hard to say at this point, but it, it does seem to be the case. So it means um, um, in your body and mine, uh, it's not just the heart, but we have a second driver of, of and um, um, it also it raises the question, well, where does the energy come from? And, and I think the answer is simple. Wherever there's infrared energy, it could be from outside, but in our bodies, probably from inside, because all the metabolic um, activities that occur inside generate heat. So it keeps us warm. So this heat equivalent to infrared energy uh, is propelling it's, it's not just radiated out, but some of it, how much, you don't know, some of it is used to help propel the blood inside your vessels. Well, that, so, that's interesting. That brings up two interesting points. So one, to go only, to the study. Only two? Well, no, sorry, two right off the top of my head. Uh, we just, just talked about the studies on infrared exposure um, and increasing endurance and strength output. So if it increases fluid flow through the capillaries, um, also I'm assuming lymphatics would be driven that way. That, Absolutely. That could indicate a reason why you would have sustained energy or sustained performance. Um, but yeah. also why you would have the need for a warm-up before high-level athletic activity because you would be producing more infrared energy, which would then increase the fluid flow through the capillaries, the lymphatics, and through everywhere else that you have fluid flow. Sure, it's a good point that um, you know that, that hadn't occurred to me until you you mentioned it. Yeah, the lymphatics have been a real puzzle. You know, the textbook no, nobody really understands how, how how the flow occurs through the lymphatics, and um, um, the textbooks will tell you that the muscles that surround um, the lymphatics will squeeze and therefore propel the fluid. And that's certainly a possibility but as far as i've been able to see nobody's confirmed it and so the question is you know why the water how the fluid can flow so readily through the lymphatics and and i think the, the mechanism that i just mentioned to you certainly a, a plausible candidate for that yeah also you know also in the veins you know right um yeah so so good point that you make have, have you um done much, have you exposed yourself much to the work by Dr. Jean-Claude Guimberto, the hand surgeon in France and his microtubule network? Uh, not as much as I, I ought to. I've seen, uh, I've seen um, his fascinating uh, videos yeah. uh, and live tissue showing droplets of water moving, moving along. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, you don't see them when you, when you, look at the tissue um, 
and under artificial conditions, but uh, but his view is natural, actually, right in, inside a living organism. Yeah. It's pretty clear, very impressive. It's super amazing. And, you know, for me, it seems that that network that he's showing with his microscope work is kind of like when the capillary is on, it goes into this network. And also from the cell, beginning the lymphatic system is from this network. Um, it's also the same network as far as his explanation is what allows tendons to move relative to um, overlying skin and other uh, connective t- tissues. So it's like, like the movement apparatus and the, um, the cell delivery of nutrients and, and oxygen as well as the cell waste is all based on this kind of fluid flow that no one has an explanation for until you listen to your research. And then it provides seemingly a pretty well-rounded explanation for why this fluid actually moves through that network. Well, I think so. You know, fluid flows are occurring everywhere. Um, and uh, uh, trees, for example. So, you know, in the springtime now, <laughs> the sap yeah. begins flowing and question is uh, always well why 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 does it why does it begin flowing in springtime and uh, in springtime it's warmer uh, we get more infrared energy from the sun half of the half of the sun's energy is in the infrared region and and so if the flow of sap the flow of water for example in the xylem from the roots up to the leaves uh, also, um, you know, what what makes it start and what propels it, right? Because right. you need some kind of propulsion. And I, I think uh, exactly as you, you've been thinking that it's the infrared energy that comes around that that energizes this flow. And uh, this is everywhere, where down and outside the cell, uh, in every living being. Uh, you need fluid flows inside inside the cell or inside to outside or to, to move water well, was absolutely critical for, for life and it needs to flow. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, that brings me to a completely unrelated question, but one that I think is fascinating. Um, I'm going to start it with, you know, one of the, the modalities that I use uh, when I'm treating my athletes uh, and non-athletes is uh, different frequencies, either electrical or magnetic fields. And I've seen uh, videos showing water molecules changing, how they vibrate, their shape that they appear in uh, based on what frequency that is being applied to them. Uh, I know in your, your work with the easy water, it structures it so that there's less um, kind of wasted energy. Energy can transfer through it a little bit easier. And it kind Kind of goes to what homeopathy is as well like the storage of information and information passage through water you know uh, I, I was watching the frozen movie and i've always thought that water has this amazing ability to have memory in it and they allude to that there but in your opinion you know you've worked with water a lot is there an opportunity for water to hold energy or information absolutely um uh, um, where to start? This is this is a it's a big topic and uh, a really important one. And right now, the evidence is so strongly mounting that it's really in, impossible to to ignore the uh, the evidence for 
So, so let me let me begin with. Um, I mean, this is counterintuitive. You, you you don't think that water is the capacity to sorbation, and um, and one 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 reason uh, for this is that we assume three phases of water. We assume liquid water and the structure of liquid water, as far as we understand it, it's not completely understood, is that the molecules uh, are not randomly arranged, but all bouncing around at uh, a gazillion times per second. Uh, that's not the kind of substrate that you think could be able to store any information. Uh, but there's also another phase now that's easy water, which is somewhere between a liquid and a solid. It's, as we discussed earlier, gel-like. Gel, gel and because the uh, hydrogen and oxygen atoms are all organized in a three-dimensional array, uh, just like, just like um, a computer memory where the silicon atoms are organized in a regular three-dimensional array, you know, and each one of, each one of them can take on two different states, um, we call them zero and one or on and off, and that's um, in, in, by virtue of the array of atoms with these different states, each atom having different state, you store information. Well, easy is very much the same. As I mentioned earlier, you've got layers of hydrogens and oxygens and each layer is stacked in a regular way up of the previous layer so so you're going to stacking uh, not only in in two dimensions the sheet but also in three dimensions because of the stacking of 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 atoms and so the question arises question arises whether uh, there is the capacity of that array just like the silicon array to store information and um, and and the answer is uh, at least theoretically is a resound yes because each of the oxygen atoms has um, not one state and not even two states like silicon but five different states. Hmm. Any chemistry book will reveal them uh, as the oxidation states. So it could be for oxygen typically minus two, minus one zero, plus one, and plus two. So imagine, if you will, a three-dimensional array where every oxygen in the array has the capacity, just like the silicons, to have not two different states, but five different states. So, so the, 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 at least theoretical conclusion is that the easy water has uh, the capacity to store an incredibly larger uh, amount of, of, of information uh, than the silicon array because instead of two states for each entity in the array, you've got five different states. Right. And we calculated, uh, I forget what the answer was, but it, it's something like um, uh, somewhere between a million and a billion times the energy density. It's huge. And of course, the question in one day is whether your computer memory have easy water in it instead of silicon and um you know it seems far-fetched at the moment but um moore's law tells us if you consider it a law that every i think 18 months the density increases by a factor of two i think i'm not sure if i have the numbers correctly this might continue in including um uh, an observation uh, um including the fact that the easy water can actually 
Um, actually, you can get it in the form of a solid at room temperature, solid at room temperature. This was actually found originally by um, um, uh, an Italian in investigator um, and, and uh, found um, um, several papers that have been published and we recently repeated it. So you can take easy water, you can extract it from wherever you, you find it, put it through a, a process and what you get is easy water but in solid form. This is amazing. This is a kind of water that's a solid at room temperature. Um, so this is opening a, 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 lot of, a lot of possibilities, as you can imagine. But it also opens the possibility that this kind of uh, information storing um, uh, material uh, can be stuck into a computer memory. It won't happen here. But it may happen later. So anyway, I, I think I digress by telling you this, but th this is one of the reasons for the downfall of um, a famous scientist about 30 years ago uh, named Jacques Benveniste. Um, and his downfall came because he, he claimed that he had discovered water memory. Mm. Um, and... <laughs> I don't know if you know the story, but it's an interesting one. So Jacques, who was a friend of mine, uh, immunologist who whose work was well known, and some of his discoveries are in the textbooks. He was well known. He had a laboratory in Paris of something like fifty people, and one day, um, a guy who is a homeopath. Um, comes to his laboratory and tells him that, you know, the experiments that you're doing, um, I can do them uh, in, a, in a different way that involves very high dilution. I can take the substance that you're using, almost nothing left except water, um, at least statistically, nothing but water, do the same experiment and get the same results. So <laughs> what what he had been doing what Jacques had been doing in, in Paris is, is taking some antibodies and exposing those, um, exposing uh, cells, um, secretory cells to the antibody. When antibody on, the, the cell gets the signal and it secretes histamine. The, what it secretes is not so important. But so what this guy said is, I can take that histamine and dilute it and keep diluting and diluting and diluting it until there's only water left. And that water, presumably some information from the original histamine, otherwise the following experiment wouldn't work. He put the water, of the water um, on the cells and they secrete the same way as the original antibodies. But in this case, the antibodies had been diluted so much there are no antibodies left, only water. So... Uh, this was, of course, an um, unexpected result, fascinating result, because how could water contain information? If you think about water as, as containing uh, molecules bouncing around, you'd ne never get that. And, and, um, and so there was a, a, a saga that went, unfortunately, that went along with this. Of course, uh, few people uh, would be inclined to believe that water could contain information. At that time, nobody knew about easy water. Um, uh, and, and so I was skeptical. And 
when Jacques submitted his manuscript to Nature, to the journal Nature, the editor, Sir John Maddox, responded almost reflexive that this is impossible. He said, if you're right, nobody else, everybody else won't because it just can't be, and therefore we're not going to publish it. We're not even going to send it to reviewers to look preposterous. Mm. So what did Jacques do? Um, he did the same thing that probably I'd do, or maybe mm. you'd do. Um, he, he, his friends, to repeat his experiment to see if they could get the stuff, did. They submitted the paper again uh, with the uh, collect the names of all the people on it from trees and such. Uh, and they tried to publish it, and the result was the same. No way. Can't be right. Doesn't matter how many people to have reproduced it. Can't be because everybody knows it's wrong. So, um, before long, the homeopaths, uh, a lot of homeopaths in, in, um, around uh, in front and especially in Paris, treat patients with with alcohol, apparently with with some success. Um, they they were outraged because because when they got wind of this, hey, here's a scientific hero, well known throughout the world. He has evidence, not just conjecture, but evidence for something, and and across the channel in London in the Nature office, are saying that. You refuse to even send it to reviewers? How could this be? So Maddox felt a lot of pressure. He called Jacques and one of the Jacques laboratory. He he pointed at the phone. He said, that telephone, that's where John Maddox and he made a deal. And I accepted the deal. But what was the deal? Okay. We're gonna publish your manuscript in this issue of nature. But in a few weeks, we're going to send a, a team of peers to your laboratory to look over and see what you're doing and then report back to our readers because we're, we're, we're a little skeptical. So Jacques told me, you know, in good faith, he agreed because uh, how could it not be, uh, you know, his, from different laboratories, affirmed it, and what, what else could, could you do? So, so there was an agreement there. It was made right on that phone right there. And a few weeks later, Maddox assembled his team. And you know the story, I see, Miles. Uh, well, his team of um, um, uh, peers, peers. And the members of the team consisted of three. The first was the editor himself, who, you know, might have had a bone to pick because he really did publish. He was forced to. Second was... Uh, was uh, um, uh, James Randi, otherwise known as the amazing Randi magician, and a magician whose cap uh, had the capability to unk, uh, uh, the tricks uh, of all his fellow magicians. A very talented guy who's to this day um, has a uh, is on the media uh, a lot. Uh, you know, oh, and so he's obviously able to figure out he was a good person to have among the peers, although one could argue whether he was a peer or not. And the third one uh, was a guy named who had been National Institutes of Health and I, uh, for some years 
doing some work that's not so different from the amazing Randy. Um, he, he was hired to to detect fraud in scientific evidence. So, for example, you were a scientist and um, and you claimed that the white rabbits uh, developed black patches on their side after some particular treatment. But your colleague next door saw you while painting those black spots on the, on the rabbits and reported you. He'd be the guy to investigate. So he's a fraud buster. Um, so this was the this was the team that went to visit Jacques and Venice, and. As, this, as the report goes, you can read this in various places, the first two experiments done by the technician in the lab yielded the same result that they had reported. Although they reported that it didn't work every time, it, it worked almost every time, but there were exceptions. So, but there were so few that the result was clear beyond any stretch of the statistical imagination. Um, so done by Walter Stewart, and his result didn't turn out the same way. And so they huddled in their hotel and they came to conclude after these um, experiments that it must be a trick, although they couldn't detect a trick, except identified some sloppiness and data recording, couldn't identify that it must be a trick because when we did it, once, emphasis, uh, we didn't get the same result as when they did it uh, twice in their presence uh, and many times in their re report. So, so this was uh, basically the end of um, the career of Jacques Benveniste. He made the mistake, he told me, um, of calling it water memory because this was like waving a red flag of a bull. Water memory, it seemed so, so jarring, but basically, he confirmed or he demonstrated this, and I must tell you that um, um, this has been confirmed many times over, his, his result, because um, 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 he, he, each year I, I organize a conference. Um, it's the annual conference of physics, chemical water, and at that conference, uh, we or I invite various people, and we have many speakers in the past who have not only confirmed uh, the Benvenist result, but also have taken it and done experiments of their own, experiments that actually demonstrate, in, even in other ways, that, that water contains memory. So, so Jacques Battle, um, he, he passed some years after that, um, couldn't get a grant or anything after, and you know, some people he tended to be um, the, the um, of this well-known scientific, um, uh, the bot of scientific. Someone would say, uh, "Hey, you're you're having some trouble remembering stuff. Why don't you just take some of this water? You know, get get you some memory." You know, and he couldn't get a grant, and it was it was awful. He, um, after that, some impressive things. But at any rate, his experiments demonstrated that that it, it's possible to take water, and that water could contain information in it. Um, so that was that was back thirty years ago, and and others have uh, have since uh, demonstrated in in different kinds of experiments that water can contain memory. And let me, before, I know I'm going 
I'm loving it. I'm loving it. All right. Okay. Well, uh, okay. So, so one of the people uh, demonstrate demonstrating um, that water contains information is um, Luc Montagnier. And Luc Montagnier, who actually a friend of Jacques, and realized the importance of these experiments, um, started doing um, other experiments that are even more dramatic in their implication um, than what Jacques Benveniste found. And Luc, by the way, happened to win a Nobel Prize, so it gives him some standing in pursuing yeah. these experiments. He, he identified HIV and uh, won the Nobel Prize in medicine. So Luca started doing some experiments, and I'll, I'll just tell you, uh, dealing with, with information and memory, and uh, I, I'll tell you, and then I, I, I can't help but talk about experiments of Masaru Emoto, uh, if I remember after I tell you about Montagnier, if not, please remind me, because they're, they're interesting for a lot of people. Um, and uh, so Montagnier did the following experiment. You bear with me. He took two containers, sealed containers, so they can't communicate chemically with one another, put them next to one another. One of them contained DNA, uh, short strands of DNA with a particular known sequence um, in here. And here it was just water. And the DNA was contained in, in a, a solution. Um, yeah. And, and he put the two containers next to one another, and he theorized that the information from the DNA, or indeed from the water that surrounds the DNA, um, is being communicated somehow, not by chemicals, but somehow to the water that's sitting here. And he let them sit next to one another for 24 hours approximately, and then got rid of this one, took the water, and he said, the water... I hypothetically contains information from the DNA. And to test that, he added this water or used this water in the so-called PCR reaction, which is, is to supply the original substances needed to, to build the DNA. And, and this gives the information, water gives the information. And the new DNA that was made by this reaction had the same sequence as the DNA that was sitting next to the water. And indicating that somehow the information from the DNA, or as I said, from the water next to the DNA, uh, was being transmitted to this water. This water was holding the information available for creating new DNA, which then had the same sequence as the original sitting uh, DNA sitting next door. And apparently this work, uh, which is you know, sensational in its implication, has been confirmed by a couple Italian laboratories. So oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating because the water's the water's inside your body, you know, and it means that information from outside, subtle information. We're talking about information from someone's thinking or feeling or whatever can can be contained in inside inside your body, inside your brain cells or any cells in, in inside and. Um, so let me let me conclude this by by talking about uh, Masara Emoto and and his uh, studies. And I think some of you will know that um, about Emoto because his book uh, became famous and sold twenty years ago. Um, it, it 
it sold more than 7 million copies. And what Emoto, or excuse me, I'm told by the Emoto people that the correct pronunciation is Emoto, Moto, uh, Emoto. What uh, Emoto uh, showed is that you, you can take water and, um, and uh, put your intention to water and freeze the water and look at the ice crystals and the ice crystals, if you, if you can convey positive intention, like I love you uh, to the water in a gentle way, the crystals are beautiful. And if, if you instead um, confer negative attention, oh, you stupid, or I hate you, or um, you fool, then the crystals um, are negative or are ugly. And he had many of these examples, and, and scientists are um, justifiably reluctant to believe it because the methods used by Emoto um, are not what we would call scientific. So he'd freeze, he'd freeze many of these samples, and he picked the one that best illustrated what he wants to show. The scientists won't do that. They've been changing and becoming more scientific, and there's some evidence that um, gathered uh, that the results are, are and and I think the skepticism arises partly because of his uh, cherry picking uh, method. On the other hand, our our finding about easy water um, confers a, a possible basis for thinking that his observations might actually be, be real um, and important, and therefore, because we know that inside the water, the easy content inside the water is, um, is such that, that that easy can store the information, and um, the information, therefore, gives rise to the crystals, and different information can give rise to different crystals. Um, and so uh, another book was just published by then, the 20-year 20, 20 um, uh, anniversary volume and I was I was pleased to receive an invitation to go to Japan and make a presentation uh, during the release of, of that volume so the uh, sound after this uh, long speech if you will <laughs> uh, because the subject is so interesting yeah. it appears and I only scratched the surface with evidence there's a lot more it, it appears that uh, water can contain information and I think that the reason it can contain and store information is because of the presence of EZ water, which whose, whose molecules are organized into a three-dimensional array, much like a computer memory. <coughs> I'll stop there. That's incredible. Because, That's incredible. Well, yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can talk to you all day, but I'm, I have two more questions I want to ask you. I, I know you have, your time is limited. Um, the first one, I think, is... Oh is important for everyone who's listening uh, because the, the importance of structured water or easy water uh, on cell function um, and minimizing disease and everything else in our bodies seems paramount. And so you hear a lot of advertisements of how to increase your, your water structuring within your body. And a lot of it is to do with drinking structured water. Now, one, is that something that can actually help you? And if not, uh, what are things you can do to help structure the body, the water inside your body? Okay, that's a great question. Um, so 
out there, um, you'll find, not necessarily on Safeway shelves, but um, um, if you look, you'll find that waters um, have been produced that claim that um, they're structured waters. And, and by structured waters, um, I, I think... Achieve Depth Radio is brought to you by InDepthOils.com. InDepth Oils Full Spectrum FDA Approved Organic Hemp CBD Oil. InDepth Oils are grown on fertile land that has never been used for any agriculture and is therefore clean, has no pesticides or other poisons. Employees hand plant the seeds, hand pick the weeds, and hand harvest the flower. We have a natural spring running through the farm that is fed by glacier melt up in the Colorado Rockies. And this exceptional water is the only water used on the farm to maximize the purity and quality of each and every drop that goes into all in-depth oil products. They truly may be the most pure and unprocessed oils on the market. Our plants experience the maximum love and in turn, they provide only the highest quality to our customers. Up until now, in-depth oils full spectrum CBD oil was only available to professional athletes who trust and use these oils to boost their immune system, speed up their recovery, and maximize their performance. We have now released our small batch craft oils to the public, so you too can take advantage of the in-depth oil quality. Friends of Achieve Depth Radio Podcast save 15% off their purchase using coupon code RADIO15 at checkout. So head over to indepthoils.com and in the coupon code box, all lowercase letters, no spaces, R-A-D-I-O-1-5. That's Radio 15 to save 15% on your total order. Achieve Depth Radio is also brought to you by TheVaultPerformance.com. The Vault is a performance and training center in Orlando, Florida that caters to professional and high-level amateur athletes competing in such sports as Major League Baseball, the PGA and LPGA Tours, the NBA and NFL. Dr. Brennan McLaughlin, Dr. Atai Varley, Luke Mackey of Golf Australia and the Victoria Institute of Sport, and I, Dr. Craig Davies, have brought the expertise and experience our professional and amateur athletes receive at The Vault Performance online to thevaultperformance.com. We're going to put our entire exercise library onto this platform where you can handpick to build your own daily fitness program. Whether you want a body weight only, band only, dumbbell or even barbell only program or any combination of these you can click a few buttons and have your own program designed in minutes that you can use right at home if you want you can also select one of our professionally designed workouts and be into your workout within seconds we will constantly update the exercise library and also add in special interviews and podcasts with celebrity trainers athletes and other experts on health fitness nutrition and training so go to thevaultperformance.com and select pre-sale and use coupon code RADIO999 
That is radio 999, all lowercase, no spaces, to get your monthly membership for only $9.99 a month and have access to all the exercises, the ability to build your own training program, or use one of the programs designed by one of our world-class training experts. That's thevaultperformance.com, the next generation in at-home training.